have Jesse, we have Wendy, we have Sally here to talk about what we see coming in 2022. So Jesse, back to you on, on the report. Talk, talk just a little bit about what Harvard has seen sort of coming for the, the year ahead. When we looked at um, the year ahead, we kind of focused on five key areas and um, that we saw there was going to be the biggest ramifications from um, for and the, I guess where the biggest change was going to happen. Um, so we already touched on um, the new world of work, um, slightly with the kind of frontline worker focus and a kind of influx of innovation there. But I think also something we've we're, we've seen in 2021 and we expect to increase in 2022 is that real focus on empathetic leadership. I think we've just talked about how um, how COVID changed a lot of our working practices, but I think that's had a real change on how people lead and how people run businesses um, and how uh, in the wake of all those kind of personal interactions, you continue to make sure that people feel um, some sense of belonging, they feel that they're cared for and that kind of more pastoral element, I think, in combination with the great resignation, it's just going to be really interesting to look at how the softer side of business is going to be really critical as we go forward and for businesses to balance. Um, the second area we looked at was all around every business is a tech business. And I think we touched on this already slightly around just the sheer pace of digital transformation. A lot of the, a lot of the changes that have happened that we've kind of taken for granted in the tech industry have um, have really kind of come to the fore in a lot of more of those kind of laggard industries that maybe have been slower to transform and were really kind of forced to change. Um, so I think that's been super interesting. Um, I think specifically around technical debt um, is something that has been discussion that's been around for ages, but I think um, for businesses really having to look at that and kind of work out um, how they balance their technical debt, how they address that moving forward and how it become a kind of looming thing that hangs over them. Um, and then I'll, I'll touch on responsible business in a minute, but I think your, your point, Oliver, around um, the change of consumer and about digital um, subcultures, fascinating. So um, there's a real kind of tug of war here because at one point you've got um, the rise of TikTok during the pandemic, um, big focus on DNI, rightly so, and that's fantastic to have seen, kind of coming together where people have finally found um, spaces online where they feel that they belong, they can be themselves, they can do things, um, that really kind of express their personality and their kind of creativity. Um, and I think looking at how over the year ahead, that's going to kind of continue to roll out in the digital world and across tech and how um, it's kind of comms and marketers, I guess, from my perspective, thinking about how we can tap into that and move away from some of those really kind of traditional demographic, um, kind of, I guess, quite binary focused um, ways of looking at people and start to see all those different um, subcultures coming out. Um, yeah, I think it's just so interesting to see um, as the year goes on. Um, and I guess interchange with that is then um, kind of our fifth pillar we talked about in the in the trends report, which is all around regulation, which I know Oliver, you're, you're interested in and kind of want to talk a little bit about um, looking at how um, the, the, the cookie less Internet, what the, how the ramifications that's going to have on everyone um, and how a lot of the practices that a lot of tech companies and companies at large have relied on for so long now, and they're going to have to kind of change the way they do things as well. So so many kind of I know I've just kind of talked about a kind of broad suite of things there but just so many interesting kind of trends that are all going to interplay um over the next year and beyond that's a fantastic summary and let's jump let's jump on a couple of those points so one I'm going to geek out for a moment on technical debt I think for a long time organizations could get away with technology not quite being right because for some organizations it was almost a secondary channel right and so all of a sudden, what's happened with the digital transformation we've all been talking about is it's become primary and always on and it needs to be resilient. 
And so before technical debt, it's a bit like what Sally was talking about earlier, that the business case maybe didn't stack up to replace something because it you know, didn't bring in enough revenue or wasn't costing too much. Now, no, that's, that, that's not the critical factor. The critical factor is, is that platform actually allowing you to do business and support your customers or support your ecosystem or whatever it is it's supposed to be doing 24 seven with no outages before? Yeah. Okay. only needed to work nine to five. You know, no, now it needs, you know, if anyone wants to, to use it online, it needs to be there and available. And so I wanted to throw that out to either Wendy or Sally. Is that, is that something that you've kind of seen the sort of importance and criticality and the robustness of tech being more valued now, whereas before it was like, yeah, we don't really care. That thing's a bit clunky. I would say yes, for sure. And, um, you know, on the tech debt point as well, um, I think companies are are getting a little bit more strategic about how they look at it and putting the business lens on top of that to really understand what's important, what isn't, um, you know, how do we prioritize? And even I hear a lot more of organizations saying, we're going to intentionally make this decision to go into tech debt because it meets this criteria, or we're going to leave this alone. So I, I do very much see that. And I think the technology has become mission critical and blending with the business. That's the other trend we see, right? right? Technology and business just absolutely blended, moving out of just the realm of enablement to, to really blend it with strategy. Are you seeing that, say, that blend of, of tech and business? Is that something you've seen? Yeah, um, I think there's a phrase I saw in one of the reports you shared, um, Oliver, around um, engineering for AI. So one of the, the um, biggest costs that we have in our responsiveness is um, we spin up models um, for specific customers for their specific requirements. But then we have a whole load of data engineering, pipeline management operations that's put into the investment request. And actually that doesn't enable us to be responsive and give our customers the answers that they're looking for because we're so busy setting up um, that AI engineering, that in, in a sense is a, is a technical debt for me because when another use case comes along, we'll have to set up a whole new um, instance. Um, and equally when talking to earlier, when life cycles selling internationally in, in the spaces that we are, are, are being pushed back constantly because funding issues, it means that the, the code gets put on a shelf for want of a better term. And then it's incredibly expensive for us to take that model back off the shelf and redeploy it and get it working again. I mean, we've got estimates about three month timeline. So we're really trying to um, uh, re-engineer our business investment around um, investing in product teams rather than projects. And I, I know that's a phrase that people talk about, but that doesn't sound very innovative but from a practical level businesses fund projects because they have very clear um, objectives and outcomes and that doesn't (laughs) translate when you're you're working with an IT infrastructure we've got some very nervous business architects within our business at the moment where we're saying we just want a pot pot of money to spend based on what we want and they're like oh hang on a minute (laughs) what what is that going to be we want those people available so you need to start putting people you know to that that project it, it's almost like a a technical debt that is coming through our lack of speed to respond to, to customer demand right do you know what the, the phrase that sprung to mind when you were just talking then was the project cult i don't know if you've heard oh. this the kind of yeah so moving away from the project cult and moving to products maybe is the way out of technical debt so for yeah. many organizations they have just 
been very siloed in their thinking and, and fixed vision in terms of, right, this project will deliver X. Whereas I, I like what you're saying, which, you know, if people embrace the product mentality, and I, it's obviously not new, um, but maybe this, the criticality of the products and the platforms that every organization is running now, it's forcing everyone to go, do you know what? We need to rethink the project cult. We need to think more about investing in, in capability. And Wendy, you know, Sally was talking there about uh, business architect is this is this a theme is this a trend that you're that you're seeing oh the project to product most definitely most definitely and by the way to your to your last point there about is this a way out of tech debt i think that's a really interesting point i also think it's a way to help us think holistically mm-hmm. about our organizations. So that's business architecture right there, of course, but um, you know, really serving the customers and really thinking about the products and services and the value that we deliver them instead of sort of that internal focus um, and, and just feeling good because we're delivering things, right? Sort of <laughs> humans have this bias towards action and, and we feel good when we're doing stuff, but knowing how it really collectively adds up. Um, and I love the point too, because I, honestly, from a business architecture perspective, the shift from project to product, that mindset, what that's done to organizations, the agility mindset is probably one of the top things, the top challenges for business architects worldwide to both rethink how they fit in that mindset, as well as make sure that we bridge the gap that is still there, which is the really big view of strategy into execution and and how we work together to do that. Yes, we're going to come back to you on um, regulation. I think the regulator is having to jump in and get involved because for too long, organisations have ignored the stuff that's getting dusty. And that's, that's you know, the technology that they've not looked at for a long time. That's actually where the security issues are, where the potential data breaches or what have you. And actually, it's taken the regulator and governments to go, do you know what? You can't just focus on your new shiny stuff. You've got to make sure you know what you've got, that it's secure, that it's well managed, et cetera. And I see that coming with you know, the telco security regulation, which is going through the sort of final phases of parliament at the moment, where essentially telcos will have to know, they'll have to have an inventory, they'll have to know where they have high risk vendors, they will need to be on top of the sort of vulnerabilities and things. But there's also been the same sort of thing coming for the sort of digital platforms as well, isn't there? So be interested in your take on, you know, you touched on the cookie internet, but my personal think, thinking is that 2022 will start to see more of regulation in, in how different industries you know, essentially professionalise their technology. It's a really interesting space, I think, um, and there's been, a, there's been a lot of conversation over it um, for the last few years around some of the, the lack of regulation in the tech space. And we've, we've always known it's coming. And I think technology companies really know that this is, this is on the horizon. We've seen, obviously, some of the, the, the kind of bills that um, China have put in place in terms of their regulation there. And I think we're starting to see that almost kind of by by coincidence or by design that kind of China's becoming this kind of de facto regulator for the world on things. So when they say, okay, well, these, these are the parameters we're gonna test out, here's how we're gonna work, here's um, how tech companies have to um, align with what we're recommending from a government perspective, you'll see that that will have ramifications globally and in the US and the UK, um, companies realize that they'll have to kind of consider that, governments be looking at it as well and kind of saying, okay, well, if that's what China's doing, we pretty need to kind of take heed at what we're doing on a local level as well. So I think, I guess, kind of similar thing around regulation, around sustainability for tech as well. Um, so uh, to, to date, there's been um, 
there's kind of been a kind of a goodwill, I guess, that organisations are doing the right thing and they're driving towards the right direction. But I think unless there's those regulations in place, a lot of companies will um, pay lip service or do the kind of minimum. And I think yeah. we'll start to see that as regulation kind of grows and um, that businesses will start to kind of have to have to make moves on these things in a more kind of meaningful way than they have. It's almost inevitable that COP26 promises will flow into government regulations and rule changes, right? And I think also what's coming is a whole bunch of lessons that governments have learned about how industries respond in times of crisis. I mean, just look at supply chain issues that the UK has sort of run into. Who else would like to perhaps comment on what they see coming out off the back of COP26? I mean, personally, before I, before I do hand over, personally, I hope it moves us from the sort of talking about it to the action. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's well overdue that people just talk about this, organisations talk about this as a way to make their end of year report look good. It needs to be fundamentally, what are you doing and how are you rethinking? I mean, um, Sally, any sort of perspectives on how sustainability is really going to get driven into organisation strategy and culture? Yeah, so um, back in the summer, we ran um, a five day sustainability sprint um, to really be opportunity first, um, rather than seeing it as a negative and, and compliance and, um, you know, something that's going to prevent growth. Um, what we found actually was that um, there's no one person that has a business problem around sustainability. It's all of our responsibility to incorporate sustainability within um, our dis everyday decisions. So what organisations are doing are adding those um, sustainability requirements to um, you know, business leaders' personal objectives. Um, however, unfortunately, I think what, what we've seen is um, ESG reporting, so environment, social um, I forgot what the G is, but anyway. Governance. Thank you. I was going to say governmental, but that's because I work for Um uh, Yeah, it's moving to the risk department, which is really, really disappointing because it's an absolutely huge opportunity area that um, businesses can, um, you know, jump on around, you know, the, the new green economy, new green skills. If We talked about creative destruction I think this is one of the the biggest opportunity areas but there's there's just a massive counterweight to this where business and money lumps on for a better term it's you need to make sure it's for the for the right things for people and planet so carbon credits for example um there's a whole load of hype around that but there's not we can't plant enough trees to do our cut to deal with our carbon deficit so it's it's going to be really interesting and I hope it's a very sort of creative stage of of hype and then um disillusionment happening very very quickly because we haven't got time um so I I'm excited and I see it as an opportunity area sustainability just as long as it's not like a dot-com boom where the, the few make loads of money um and we don't get the right outcomes yeah no that's really interesting I mean Wendy, when I look to Scandinavia, I see an awful lot of progress, particularly on electric vehicles, right? I mean, I the one, one highlight of this year was finally being able to afford to join the electric car revolution because it is still a privileged thing you know, for, for many. I know cheaper cars are, are coming on the market, but it's still quite an expensive um, decision to go electric. But I know uh, certainly in Norway, if I'm correct in picking the right country here, it, it, I think EVs are outselling normal cars and have done for quite some time. And, and I'd be interested in your take on, you know, how is that received? Is that is that just sort of is everyone really proud of that? Is that are there, are there big challenges in in that shift? 
Um, is, is, is the rest of Scandinavia going to go that way? What, what are your sort of thoughts on, on that sort of, sort of thing? Absolutely. And I, I have joined uh, the electric car owners as well just recently. But no, you are exactly right. It's um, something like 50, 60 percent of the new car sales over this last period have been electric. So, um, you know, what's so fascinating is it's almost feeling like in Norway, we're going to have a shift like it's going to be in a blink where all of a sudden, how could you be driving a combustion engine? It's almost feeling like it's getting that point. And, you know, we have sort of this selective memory of, of our choices before. So I would say it's very well received, but I also think what has been done very well, which is a good illustration of systemic change is benefits have been put into place, right? For example, you can drive in the bus lanes, um, you get a credit on um, tolls, Right. Even so much as if anyone has an electric car, they have to put in an electric plug in. And that is helped by the by the by the commune, by the, the, the commune to actually offset that. So it's it's been a systemic change. And I do also think that a deep love and respect for the environment that is utterly in the DNA here has has underpinned that. And I think there's a lot we can learn from all of that. Yeah, can I just. John, I think that's a fantastic example of private and public partnership, because we as consumers can buy as many electric vehicles as we like, but if there isn't the rewiring of our energy systems that isn't digitized, um, and then the infrastructure to enable charging, which comes from government, um, we, it, you know, we are going to come to a bit of an um, inflection point. Um, no. Totally, totally, totally agree, Sally. I mean, I last week or week before last, I went to Manchester, and it was just probably you know the the long the long, longest journeys I've done from 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 south, and um, it was fine, but it wasn't easy finding an overnight charge point in Manchester. Right, it could have been a lot easier, and so you know it was it was a bit. I almost jumped in my wife's petrol car. Right, it was kind of like you know should I just take the easy option? But no, I did it. I did it. But you're right. I mean, there is there is a lot more that needs to be done. I mean, Jesse, what are you seeing with the organisations you work with around sustainability? Are there any kind of major themes and trends that you see kind of going into the new year around this space? Yeah, I think um, I think one of them we've kind of we've touched on here, which I think is historically um, the kind of mainstream narrative around sustainability has been really there's been a lot of onus on the consumer, right? So um, a lot of focus on products, a lot of focus on plastic, um, things that we can see, we can feel, we can touch. For the, for the everyday consumer, a kind of conception that if they stop using kind of plastic bottles, then everything will be okay. And I think what the last year has taught us is that we can see the the, the effects it's having on the environment. We can see it, we've got the fires, we've got the floods, we can really see it now. And I think that's suddenly kind of awoken everyone to the fact that doing these small changes and those small nudges aren't going to kind of keep us ahead of what's happening at the, the planet level. Kind of happened a bit this year and we think 2022 it's going to really start to um, shift into is a bigger focus onto the things we can't see, uh, which has huge ramifications for the all the tech companies, right? So um, I think it's like the big, so Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, all the big tech companies together use the same amount of electricity in 2021 as New Zealand. I was um, staggered by that stat. That was that was a brilliant yeah. stat. And sorry to jump in, but we've covered this topic. And uh, previously, we spoke to a, a chap called Gunnar Menzel, who um, is the chief uh, innovation and architect uh, officer at Capgemini. And it is just staggering, isn't it? The amount of energy that's 
that we don't realize when we pick up our phone and use an app, we we, we don't appreciate it. It's not just us recharging the, the phone. <laughs> There's an awful lot like that, that that's hidden below the waterline of the iceberg in this space, isn't there? Yeah, 100%. And I think that's where, again, like the, the shifts to cloud, things like that, the everyday consumer might be making those small incremental changes about the things that they buy and the products they consume probably haven't really um, understood what what the cloud actually means the cloud it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist it just means it's a big data center somewhere else right they're just not on-prem and I think that's kind of interesting I think there's going to be start to be a real shift where organizations realize and consumers um, governments and the kind of regulatory body is going to start to come in and say just because you we can't see it doesn't mean it's not important to address and I think 2022 is the year that um, we're kind of advising our clients to kind of get ahead of that and think about, okay, well, at some point, bigger regulation is coming out of the wake of um, COP26, starting to think about that and really, um, as we kind of talked about, I guess, start to see the environment as a stakeholder rather than kind of something that's incidental that might be impacted. It's a link to, with regulation. The the ISO standards for environment, it's got a four in it. I won't um, pretend to reel it off. Um, but that um, that has really helped focus ordnance surveys business. Uh, we, we have huge data centers. We collect a huge amount of data um, through our mapping activities. And, um, you know, while our building is um, completely sustainable, there's been a huge amount of work to ensure the cooling of the, those systems mm. are sustainable and I think Microsoft have, have done some leading work around helping organizations look at how they um, manage those huge energy eaters in, in a better way it's I completely agree it's completely hidden but what I am seeing is in RFPs that we're responding to questions are coming up around what are you as an organization doing from a social perspective from um an environmental perspective um, and hopefully you know that will drive businesses to ensure that their, their back office is just as um uh, sustainable as it, it's you know marketing collateral it's been interesting to sort of see the big tech companies put data centers where there's perhaps clean energy or a cooler uh, climate yeah. so that they need less, less cooling and things like that but staying on the topic of things we can't see but i think it's super super important one of the things that's i suppose touching back onto this year to 2021 for a moment is the rise in that i've seen of people talking about mental health and impacts of things like apps and so on on on, on you know um on kids on, on different sort of vulnerable sort of populations i think that's that's been quite encouraging and what's your thoughts i mean sally perhaps it's though with you on what product managers and, and product organizations are perhaps going to do to sort of make sure that those things are considered because i think at the moment there is certainly a mistrust isn't there I think in a lot of online platforms a mistrust in data and information and just really interested in your take on what perhaps you might see changing do you see this getting better in the short term or is this is this is this, is this a big sort of shift sorry a lot of questions at you there no 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 um I think we need to a phrase I use a lot um at work is we need to build the muscle I think we need to learn how to do this I see a lot of strap lines around um ethics of data well we didn't do philosophy degrees. Um, so, I mean, how, how are product managers, which can I just say product management is a new discipline. You can't mm. go to university and study product management. Um, so, and again, with the brain drain, you know, it's uh, the best product managers are at the, the top six um, technology companies. So we've, we've had project managers migrating into product and it, it, that, that isn't necessarily a bad thing, but, 
we all need to be vulnerable and humble about what we don't know and the unintended consequences of our, our design um, and have to be flexible in responding to things that we 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 don't perceive but the biggest the biggest I think salve to that is being really clear about our inputs into products so um I mean I've been on a, a massive learning curve but the um, quality of data, provenance of data, you know, data on data is so, so important because you, if you put rubbish in, you get rubbish out and yep. that, that transects society, you know, um, people getting information about a COVID vaccine, um, how do they have critical thinking around, is this the right information to give myself the informed choice to algorithms, um, you know, giving recommendations, how how do we then look at that recommendation and go that recommendation is based on the data inputs that we put into it um unless you know it's um you know generalized but it, there isn't that uh that real investment in data fabric and to make sure that we're really really clear what are the answers that we're getting on uh, getting um and why are they um that way and I think what's actually been amazing is sort of the epidemiology crisis has really brought science communicators to the fore to help us understand provenance of data and why results are coming this way I can't say his name but I, I read David Spiegel Gator he's he's from the Cambridge Science of Epidemiology um, University and he is brilliant at saying why are we getting certain results and that is in mainstream news and so where I'm saying build the muscle we can take learning from what's happening into our society and have a conversation internally about how we build products but I mean it's freaking hard I don't know the answer the big companies will have the best talent to help organizations do this and then there's the rest of us that are trying to figure out the right things because of course we don't want to have unintended consequences everyone talks about ai kind of blowing up in this really scary militarized kind of way like terminate you know all those sort of films you know the matrix terminator etc but actually what i think is happening is accidentally through to your point not having good enough data is the ai we're building into everyday lives is actually just sort of going wrong slight slightly in in lots of different places and it you know and and you know we can laugh about it but unfortunately it has pretty horrible implications right when when you get online bullying or you get someone who just doesn't doesn't feel comfortable about something or 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 you get people trapped at home day in day out without enough social interaction you know it, it yeah, there's a sliding scale of of, of 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 where we're kind of getting ourselves to i think it's underpinned though by a shifting mindset around holistic thinking and end-to-end -end thinking right and just to maybe underscore some of the the points here it's not good enough that we have this ethics policy here and we do this, but that we produce a product or service that compromises other people when they use it. It's not good enough that we have an energy efficient building, but the products that we create have harmful chemicals that stay in the earth for thousands of years. And so it's, it, it's, it's going beyond that. It's starting for people to be comfortable with even so far as circular economy thinking and sustainability thinking and some of the things that we've talked about here in terms of understanding that we have a set of stakeholders, right? 
I I've appreciated the continual blending, honestly, too, in business between purpose and profit, even to the extent that the the business roundtable in the U.S., which is you know the um, Fortune 500 CEOs, changed the purpose of a corporation from serving shareholders to stakeholders. So, I think we're getting there, and I think the pressures, especially we've seen over the last years, are are sort of accelerating that. But I think we have a ways to go. But but we're moving. We're moving. Jesse, do you do you think things are? Uh, kind of looking more optimistic as we go into 2022? I think relatively, I think there's been a kind of reckoning moment uh, across a lot of different topics and themes. So we said like sustainability, DNI, tech regulation. I think that's going to happen. I think, um, I mean, just thinking about, for example, we were talking there about regulation around the safety of the internet, like um, 2023, the, the online safety bill is going to hopefully come in. And I think essentially making Ofcom that kind of de facto regulator of internet content, that's going to, that should on on the surface of things have a really positive effect because just because the regulation doesn't come in until the year after next, there'll be lots of changes that happen, positive changes um, around the internet, around what tech platforms do and making sure that they're kind of held to account and baking in ethics, as Wendy said, right from the beginning. So a lot of those kind of, um, yeah, regulations are going to be put in it will encourage positive change. And I'm hoping that, that that's going to be something that organizations embrace. And as Sally mentioned earlier, seeing some of these challenges and problems is actually opportunities for something that good can come out of it and we can think differently. So yeah, I think I think there's positivity ahead. I think obviously there's gonna be a lot of the, um, as we talked about the kind of technical debt things that people are gonna to have to go back and look at as well. So this kind of seesawing of how do we drive forward and make sure that we're relevant for the future whilst we also deal with all the things that we change really quickly overnight. And I think that's where um, we're gonna still see have some kind of flux, I guess, between kind of good news and maybe some of the lesser good news. <laughs> Going back to another part of your report you touched on around kind of communities. I one of the things that I think I observed is the sort of global and local sort of shifting thinking, as in um, you know, perhaps people are reconnecting with their local communities. Do you think this links to the subgenre kind of trend that that perhaps you know, elaborate a little bit on that sub subgenre trend, but is that where people are sort of reconnecting and sort of online they're finding people that they relate to because that's the sort of new local community or am I completely talking yeah about yeah I think that's really interesting I think there's like two things at play I think um we've got um as a result of any crisis as we talked about earlier there's lots of different ways that people react to that um so for example you get um like we had in kind of roaring 20s the kind of like hedonism and people saying oh well, this is a really bad time so we're gonna have really great times now we're gonna go there's holidays we go out and have loads of fun you then got the other side of that where people say, well, I want to really focus in on my community and what I can do with my local people and find a sense of self in that sense. You get the other kind of side of it where people may be feeling kind of more um, depressed and insular. And you kind of get, because kind of lots of different, I guess, reactions that people have. I think, I think you're right. I think people are more focused on the people that are nearest and dearest to them and their local communities. And I think that will continue. But I think as you rightly said, and we've seen lots of talk about like the metaverse and what that means um, for us. I think people are realizing that there's got their, their kind of in-person communities and there's these digital communities um, and there's whole other worlds out there and people they can connect with. And I think it's just as we go into kind of Web3 and like looking at the next era of the internet and what that means for us, it moves on beyond social media to these entire worlds where we can connect with people that have similar interest to us and really like invest in that so I think that's going to be really interesting to see how that that plays out absolutely fascinates me yeah no I'm, I'm glad you brought up the m-word because I was I was <laughs> wanting to 
I was wanting for us to talk about metaverse because I think you know, it, there's so much being talked about it. And the, the cynical person perhaps might say, well, this is just the tech companies trying to create the next sort of you know, way for everyone to spend their, their money on. But in reality, this has been a long time coming. So, you know, I, I will openly admit that many years ago, I dabbled with Second Life for a few months until I kind of got bored of it. And in fact, the company I worked for at the time was even exploring doing training. We were doing um, e-learning. We were doing training in person and we were dabbling with even doing um, you know, training delivered in Second Life in like VR uh, or, you know, or you know, I suppose early VR. So this for me has is, is, is almost been a technology that's been trying to break out of a small niche. I mean, if you look at gaming communities, you've got massive sort of you know, online gaming uh, communities that I think uh, provided an amazing opportunity to escape at a time when it's hard to escape in the real the real world when you're sort of trapped perhaps in your your local area, particularly when there are lockdowns. Sally, I'm I'm and, and Wendy, I'm interested in your sort of thoughts on metaverse. Is it just a load of hype? Uh, and of course, things always are overhyped in the short term, but have perhaps a greater impact in the long term. But for me, this isn't a new thing. This is something that's been bubbling away in the fringes for some time. But what's your Sally? What's your sort of take? It's happening. It's happened. You know, people are, or our children, our future workforce are living in whole worlds. Um, Minecraft is, mm -hmm. is for kids, and they create. My friend was telling me that her daughter had a, a carnation in Minecraft. Like, it is actually quite amazing how creative and and the skills that they're getting for the future workforce that isn't happening within education. Um, and there's just going to be the consolidation of those virtual worlds. The thing that I worry about is who is owning that world and, and people's awareness of what they're going to do with that data and how they're going to, that therefore might control our decisions. Yeah. Um, I still think there's just a, a real lack of understanding of the consequence. So Echo, everyone has, is in, uh, um, you know, in people's houses um and my friends say you know oh i've got nothing that's controversial but if they're de de denied a mortgage because of the data that is harvested from their echo devices then that will have you know and maybe they won't realize that but that that will have impact and it's that invisibility that really worries me and i just think it's it's again power in few hands trend of, of metaverse rather than the concept of something that could be quite beautiful and um, amazing. Totally agree. Uh, and Oliver, I think as I've heard you say, the future is already here. It's just unevenly distributed, right? I feel like that's, that's very much the case here. It's a strategic opportunity and concern for organizations right now. Sally, I agree with your concerns around the data, and I would add mine too around the human aspect and what this really does, and just making sure that we understand the implications and have our lives and societies and education balanced enough with human and virtual. It's a bit like, I suppose, some of the fears people probably had about the internet, right? I remember, um, so I, I went to uni at the kind of late 90s, um, and you know, the internet was just sort of you know, becoming a thing then, and I sort of remember chatting to my um, my now wife uh, about you know on where this might lead you know because at the time it was very tech it was a very geeky thing it was only a few companies that had a website and things like that and it kind of feels a little bit like that's where we are with this and then uh, and then there's two points I suppose I would make here one is that scares me because we still don't really have it, the existing internet in a good place in terms of controls and safety measures and things like that um, 
And then the other thing is ultimately what that's going to kind of do to society. Is it going to, is it going to help things like sustainability? And I'll explain what I mean by that. So I've been saying for a while, I fear Western society at least is on a course to have to virtualize society. But what do I mean by that? I mean, we, we consume too much in the real world. The only way really to live out the Western lifestyle where it consumes multiple planets, if we all consume this way, it's to switch it all virtual. And as long as the uh, metaverse is powered by sustainable energy and it's not creating a little electronic waste and damaging the, the planet. If you want to go and do something hedonistic or something, you know, you, you, you want to kind of go and do something like go and fly somewhere. Well, if the experience is good enough in the metaverse for you to do that, you can go and have your trip to wherever virtually or, you know, do your driving, you know, that pollutes your petrol head. Uh, I mean, my son and I are really into one of the, the big driving games at the moment. And it's kind of quite a nice sort of, counterweight to the electric car because you want to go and have a noisy driving experience you just turn on the computer now instead of getting in the car so i just wonder whether there's you know there's there's aspects of some of this which is beneficial but there's also bits of it that are just completely unknown at the moment and will lead to kind of you know undesirable sort of consequences you're right i mean but again i go back to the point there's always winners and and losers within yeah. uh, massive change so dot dot com era there were there were winners um and Again, more to my like social economic point, is just the direct impact on rising inequality. I am excited and fascinated, but um, I just hope we um, we have our eyes a little wider um, and then have our curiosity um, going into this because we know it's coming rather than before. It it started with that that beautiful premise around democratizing information so everyone and it's free and it comes from a very pure and scientific place and then you know we we envelop it with society as long as this time society has its eyes open um uh, and I go back to that critical thinking skills um we might be able to um you know not just be a passenger but yeah. helpfully shape the other piece of this for me is how interoperable it'll be. My my concern at the moment is it's almost like where you had AOL and things like that and early online where they create wall gardens. You know, you'll have the first generation of this could be quite fragmented. For me, they're, they're, they're related. They're not the same. But I guess what we've seen with like NFTs as well, where um, everyone everyone is jumping on the bandwagon without actually any much kind of forethought for why are we doing this? Um, it's almost become at the moment, I was discussing it with colleagues, um, using NFT has almost become a, the next like marketing tactic. So whereas before it was like, we're gonna do it on social, that's different. That's been exhausted. So like we'll put an NFT and it will get talked about because it's new. And I think we're, we're gonna see a lot of that over the next year where people are creating their own worlds and doing those things um, without much kind of forethought where that's going. So I think the winners in that, as Sally was saying, there's always winners and losers. The winners are gonna be the ones that don't just jump on the bandwagon, but think about from a business perspective, where does it actually make sense for us to use this and experiment? And I think um, I'll, I'd really recommend taking read if you don't. Um, I sign up to David Matan's um, New World, Same Humans um, newsletter. Fascinating, looking at tech and the implications. And he was talking about a person who is looking to kind of create his own world, own metaverse, and everyone will have some kind of the same currency. So the idea is it's got this kind of idea of this kind of egalitarian society where everyone um, is given the same things. And David Matam was talking about the fact that actually eventually what will happen is it will just be a replication of society at the moment, right? Where there is inequality, it's like baked into the way that we live. Um, and that point around how do we manage that, I don't know, but I think there's, I think it would be uh, potentially kind of naive, naive of us to expect that 
will go into this extra world and when it's not going to have lots of the problems that our current world has and that's kind of sad but hopefully there'll be some people that do good with it <laughs> that, that's really interesting because for me uh when you look at technology that companies have it's often reflective of their own organizational structure right and so when you perhaps take a look at this holistically do we have the technology that reflects unfortunately our imperfections in our society and our culture and uh, and the world we live in and i and i kind of I rationalise some of this with just, unfortunately, it's not a perfect world and therefore some things just aren't, aren't fair. It doesn't mean we shouldn't strive to improve them. But yeah, I think that's a really interesting point around the metaverse will be equal parts kind of, you know, good and bad, I suppose. Looking at, at it as a new opportunity, and especially as you said, Jesse, it's likely to be a replication of our current world. So, but as our thoughts evolve and our mindsets evolve and our real physical world evolve, then, then hopefully it will do so there. But it's almost like where we were with what is digital a long time ago. I don't really know what my competitors are doing it and everybody's talking about it. So I need to go do that thing. I Me feel too. like that's a little bit yeah. where it is. And, and it's also sort of underpinning all these things. I believe that technology only magnifies our ethics and our values and our, our gifts and our challenges where we're at right now. So it's, I think it's just important to be cognizant and intentional because it only accelerates, you know. Thanks, Wendy. No, that's, that, that, that's great. So what I'd like to do now is move on to your own thoughts. It can, you can echo things we've already talk, talked about, but what are you seeing coming up, perhaps obvious things or, or other off-the-wall ideas and hopes and dreams, I suppose, for, for 2022? And Sally, if I can start with you. Uh, not to diminish the value of this incredible uh, session, but predictions might be slightly dead. Um, so we just need to be able to respond and um, take people along with us. Um, my personal hopes and dreams, um, you know, are, are around prioritising personal community. So I survived lockdown through uh, a friend of mine doing a, a seven at seven, which is seven exercises at 7am. It got me out of bed. Um, I, you know, it wasn't that much hardship but the friendships and the sense of community and belonging it just, was just so important to me and that has continued on in the off offline world or in real life enabled me to feel like a sense of rootedness or, or grounded to, to my local environment I hope that that continues and that that then manifests itself into things like community power to make disruption and you know um fight back against greenwashing so consumers do do realize how much more power um we have and um, from a business perspective i think we just need to invest in our people and our talent we've expected so so much from from our people um and um we need to support them from a mental health perspective but from a learning perspective because there's new technologies coming off there's new demands we need to be even more responsive and we can only expect more from people if we prioritize investment in talent and I've just seen that slipped off um, where we've just been so busy surviving. Yeah no I really like your points about being able to be a respond and being more people centric no that's really nice points. Jesse, what um, I know you've you've spoken a lot about the, the trends report, but for you personally, is there anything you're kind of hoping will sort of take off in the coming year? 
seeing how as kind of Sally's point around how as as people as kind of friends as, as colleagues as well we can start to um be more there for each other be more empathetic all that kind of stuff and make sure that we're really looking after ourselves and starting to as you said kind of dichotomy of all the things that we do offline and really starting to invest in that and realize that I mean lots of companies um, and lots of uh, nations are trialing this four-day work week and being a bit easier on ourselves I think in this kind of really fast-paced world and I think that personally I, I, I'm going to be kind of committing to that for, for next year and really focusing on doing a few things better than saying yes to everything I think that's a that's probably a good kind of um, mantra for, for, for individuals and businesses alike to be honest um, and yeah, I think similar with the, the business side of things as well is just um, how businesses can start to be a bit more resilient and focus on their people, focusing on the long term. Um, I think that's what I'm fascinated as well in from a kind of marketing and the PR perspective is thinking about longer term projects um, or maybe products as we talked about, but kind of longer term thinking and mixing that with the kind of short term speed that we've always focused on so much, I think it will just give everyone a bit more space to breathe and probably better ideas will come out of it. So I guess that's what I'm looking forward to as well as a moment to kind of reset and think about things longer term and not always just kind of what's happening tomorrow. Yeah, no, ba balancing, as Sally said, the kind of need to respond with the need to sort of take a breath and go, right, where are we headed as an organisation or where am I headed in my career? Or yeah, that, that, no, that really uh, resonates. Wendy, thoughts, thoughts from you? Yeah, love uh, both of your, both of your, thoughts there. I do think there's, um, there's a pattern and, and maybe a hope for having that adapt, adaptation to change, just being business as usual. And it's, as, as we were saying, it's the resilience and finding the opportunity and the joy in that challenge. So I think maybe a little bit more of that. Um, maybe my, my hopes uh, anyway, I think underpinning some of these cool things that we talk about and being able to truly work in ecosystems, I think organizations need to adapt more of a composable business, componentized business perspective. There's certainly talk about that, but really shifting the mindset and then the business and technology environment to do that, because I think there's resilience in that. I think there's a lot of opportunity for expansion and connection around the world in doing that. From a business perspective, and I'm even going to say from an educational perspective, I would love to see our minds shift around sustainability, circular economy. That's just the way we work. That's just the way we design organizations and societies and no longer sort of something over here separate that we're working towards, but this is just the way it is. And guess what? It makes sense for, for everybody, for humans, for organizations, for societies. Maybe the, the last hope I have is just the continued trend around the future is human and really embracing that, whether they're customers, employees, the future is human. Thank you, Wendy. And thank, thank you, all of, all of you. Your perspectives have been really, really interesting. And also a massive thanks for, for, for joining because often for these conversations, I struggle to get one lady. Uh, and so back the last version of this is just Sally and uh, and it was brilliant that this time round, it's completely the other way around and I'm outnumbered, which is wonderful. The beauty of these conversations is where you get different people from different industries, different perspectives coming, coming to talk. So particularly interested in female speakers and diverse speakers in having a conversation. So this has been a wonderful, refreshing uh, recording. And uh, personally, I found it really, really interesting. Hopefully you, you have as well. Um, and so, yeah, with that, I'd like to thank you all 
for your time. It's been brilliant and look forward to getting you involved in future conversations with the community. Thanks, Oliver. Thanks, Oliver. Thanks. Thanks.